It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. It's presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. Each and every week, except for last week, which we'll get into here in a second, we talk about some sports topics of local interest. Boy, do we got a bunch this week. Some national topics when they pop up. We've got a gambling segment that we will hopefully help you navigate your way to a few bucks. At the very least, we have fun with it. And of course, my favorite segment where you can ask me a question on any topic. I mean, any topic. It can be anything because it's hashtag ask skinny anything on Twitter. Rick, you were on vacation last week. It's the first time really in a long time. We, we've done this through... Um, through you traveling for NKU basketball for my crazy schedule at times. We did it through the entire pandemic that we, I still don't, I can still remember meeting you in a parking lot at Kroger's in April of the pandemic and going, well, all right, here's, you gave me a microphone. You said, let's try to do this. And we did it. And last week of all things, you take a stinking vacation on me. Uh, here's here's the crazy thing is I took a lot of flack for that on, on social media <laughs> and, and stuff like that. And um, I think some people forget, I'm not a, a football guy. Like that's right. people that's are giving right. me a lot of crap for taking off the first weekend of football, which granted I will probably not do again. And I regret, I hadn't really thought about it, but this is a lead up to basketball season vacation for me. That's, you know, right. that's, no, that's I where it. I make my money. That's where my life gets crazy. But like people last week, you would have thought I made six figures covering <laughs> the NFL. The way people were saying like, how could you take this off? I was like, well, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Rick. I usually take about a week and, and I'll, I'll do this podcast probably, but I kind of take a week of vacation time in early to mid February. I'm finishing my basketball coaching season. I kind of like to have that week to re-energize. It is kind of in basketball heyday season. So there's never, if you're in sports, honestly, there really and truly is very rarely a good time to take vacation. There isn't. Now, what I should have done is brought a USB microphone to Mexico with me, figured out a way to get some high speed Wi-Fi, and we should have rocked out a podcast on Thursday because as it turned out, it would have been a great week to do a podcast. I it would have. Fun. Yeah. And as you recall, last December, I went and covered some molar basketball in Myrtle Beach, and I made sure to do that podcast with the waves crashing in the background. So you, you did do that. It was a nice flex by you. And you're also more dedicated than I am. There's, there's no. no doubt about it. I, I was a little worried, though. I had to check our feed to make sure I didn't see like an episode with our Schleister pop up. I was like, yeah, oh, did good, I get cucked? Good. Yeah, good. That's a good point. That, that, that's yeah. that's well played, actually. So um, I will say that you probably was. Was there a casino or a, a book in, in, in the place where you were at? Because I know there's there's gambling in Mexico. Were you able to go make some wagers that we no, can talk about? No, we were on the resort the whole time. I, okay. didn't, I didn't believe there was legal sports gambling in Mexico. You told me when I got back that there, there was. Is. So that was probably on me for not like yeah. figuring that out and, and get it. But to be honest, the way things are going, I needed to get away. I have not been seeing the board clearly yet at all on NFL or college football since the football season started. Sometimes and you need a week away. That's that's not a bad call. I mean, those first few weeks, you'd be a scramble. You kind of let things settle a little bit and see how things are played out. Smart move. Well, yeah, you get away. You come, you know, you get a massage while you're there on a nice resort. You come back, you're feeling refreshed. You're feeling great. And then lo and behold, I get home. My car battery is completely dead and my tire is flat as soon as oh, we get home from vacation. No. I, I went like two and 10 on NFL bets Sunday and Monday since I got back. So clearly I'm not seeing the board better after my week away. And then by the way, on Monday, I developed a nice breakout of poison Ivy oh. in my eye and my wrist because my dog was seen with my parents, helped them do some yard work on Sunday right before, aye, or Saturday right before we got back and rubbed poison Ivy off on me when I came home to pick her up. So that's, that's nice. That's a nice way to come back from it. It's been a real comedy of air since I got back. And like I said, I am absolutely getting crushed 
and bets all around right now. So if you get to the betting segment and you're planning on putting in some wagers, I would highly recommend fading me this week. All right. Before we get into this podcast, we got some topics to get to. Obviously, the Reds have helped us in this regard. But was your massage from a hot Inga or was it from like Carl? Oh, no. Her name was Cynthia and she was very Oh, nice. wow. Okay. There we go. All right. That's all I needed to know. It was a couple's massage and there were points in time ah. where I almost wanted to ask my fiance to leave the room. <laughs> Or join in. <laughs> I, I regret nothing. <laughs> On uh, Wednesday, yeah. the okay. Reds and manager David Bell <laughs> announced a two-year extension of his contract through 2023. The Reds are 184 and 190 over the last three years under Bell's direction. General manager Nick Kroll said the following about the extension. Quote, I think we've talked about this all year. He's done a great job with the team we have right now, and it was natural to have him leading us forward. We got to the playoffs last year, and we've had a great run this year, and we still have a chance. He knows how to run a clubhouse, and he knows how to run a dugout. End quote. If you haven't been keeping up with the Reds on the field, they've dropped eight straight series and are now four and a half games out of the second wild card spot with 10 games to play. Skinny, what do you think the Reds announcing an extension for David Bell right now? I'm going to try to break that quote down. Uh, here's the thing. He didn't say anything about he knows how to manage a game or manage a bullpen, did he? He knows how to run a clubhouse and run a dugout. Well, that's great. Is he a scoutmaster or is he a manager of a baseball team? Oh, I like the fact that they still have a chance. They do still technically have Someone a chance. Someone said 5%, I believe, is what the yeah, odds are now. Yeah, that's probably about right. The thing I don't get, the timing of this is just odd, isn't it? I mean, you're going to do this as they're tanking? You're going to extend the guy? Well... So I thought about that, and I think a lot of people were caught off guard by the timing. But I have to say, if you are all in on bringing David Bell back, isn't this the time when the critics are going to get loudest? And isn't this the time where he probably would like to know whether or not he has your support? I mean, from a standpoint of trying to back your guy, this is very much backing your guy. Because, I mean, there's no reason to say this right now when he's... Letting but, things but, slip but, away. But here, but here's the yeah, that, that that's right. But but the fan base now is already pissed off. All right. And then they're gonna be pissed off even more. I mean, the crowds here down the stretch have been abysmal. And I'm not pointing the finger at Reds fans. You spend your money however you want. If you don't think this product's worth it, then uh, then and certainly there's some timing issues to it, then you don't think it's worth it. That's fine. Yeah, go but watch Reds. If, if if you're the Reds, right? No, if you're the Reds, though, you better be reading the tea leaves, and they ain't reading them very well in many ways. And we're gonna get to some of these other ones. They're not reading these very well. What, 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 cause here's the thing. Does anybody really expect this off season to be any different than the last off season? Of course not. And you're going to lose Castellanos, which I'm not even going to blame you for. I'm going to blame you for some, I'm not even going to blame you for that. When I get that one that you maybe can't pay for. So what, what are you, what is this front office doing? Are you honestly trying to blow this team up? I mean, I, I really can't, I, I can't fathom being a Reds fan through this. I'm not, I'm just a journalist who lives in Cincinnati. I, I, I don't understand it. Let me ask you this. Do you think David Bell should be brought back? Where are you at on David Bell no, right now as the Reds no, manager? I, I said at one point when we were talking about, about this a few months ago, I said in the interest of fairness, he makes the playoffs absolutely. Even if it's the one-game wild card, he gets him to it. Yeah, that, I think you deserve it. But really, what, what has he done? He's sub-500 in three years as a manager, and he eked into a playoff when it was a multi-team playoff that he wouldn't have gotten into if it wasn't a multi-team playoff. So what has he done? The other part is, too, it's not like this is some dynamic guy that the, that the fan base is rattling around going, Boy, David's a lot of he, he he does a lot of things. No, what he is is write names on a lineup card, overmanage games, mismanage the bullpen, play for three run homers, don't don't hit and run ever. I mean, honestly, you could almost put anybody in that dugout to manage a David Bell game. You really could write names on a lineup card, sit there and hope you hit a three run homer, and then I'll try to mismanage the bullpen. It's un, it's unfathomable to me that that you would bring this guy back. 
I'm a little more in between on it. I don't feel as strongly as that. Now, what you're saying is dead accurate and makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you if you are of the opinion that why would you bring this guy back and what exactly is he adding to your team? What advantage is he giving you? I'm fine with that. I can certainly see that logic. I also think this year specifically, and granted, he took over as manager in the middle of a rebuild. He didn't have much of a chance to win right away. No, I don't know about the in the middle of. I mean, they were starting to rebuild. He he should have reaped the benefits of some of the rebuild. No, I agree with that. Last year, it really felt like he finally had some pieces in place. But then you go into this year and you lost Trevor Bauer. You lost some of your bullpen pieces. They didn't go get you a new shortstop like they said they were going to. I mean, he really had nothing added to his team this year from last year's team. And you lost a Cy Young winner. I mean, he was he was dealt a shorthand this year, in my opinion. And I thought he did a great job of handling all the injuries and the lack of options that he had to keep the offense rolling throughout the year. Now, on the flip side of that, you brought up the bullpen. And to me, that was the biggest frustration with David Bell all along and, and definitely this year. I, I don't, it's not all on him because he really didn't have the arms in the bullpen for most of the year. So he was working from a scrap heap, but it also never felt like he had a feel for his guys or what they could do or who should be handling the high leverage situation. So I think that was the biggest negative from this year and his managing. I guess my my bigger question, even more so than David Bell coming back, is what do you make of Kyle Body and C.J. Gilman, the director right. of pitching and hitting at the minor league level, parting ways with the Reds last week, right before this announcement? Yeah, I, that, that one was the one that's really interesting. You tie that back into Dick Williams when, when he left and the whole, I'm right. going to go join my family business. And yeah, there's some legitimacy to it, but I think we all could read the tea leaves of, Oh, you're going to cut pay. And this was before even they did the whole Rizal Iglesias, Archie Bradley uh, thing of, of of making those deals. It almost felt like, uh-oh, he's reading something that's coming into it. Here comes some payroll slash, and lo and behold, what do we have? Yep. And so your Dick Williams, it, 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 you know, again, it's an easy out for him. I've heard from people who said, no, he absolutely left, not because he wanted to be joining the family business. He knew what was coming, and he didn't want to be a part of it after he worked so hard to try to get things rebuilt with some hires in the front office and and getting uh, them to spend some money on, on players at the big league level. And suddenly they're going to undercut him after one year. And he just went, you know what? I'm not going through this again. I'm not having the finger pointed at me, especially when you've got a, you know, right or wrong, a soft landing spot of going to work for the family business. This wasn't, he didn't need this job to make a living. It's a good living. And obviously it's a job that when you're in it, I'm sure you're extraordinarily passionate about. And he was, Um, but at that point you're like, I'm I'm not, look, I can go make money doing this in the family business. I don't need to deal with that nonsense. And so that was alarming. And now all of a sudden you got guys that have come in and have changed a lot of the ways they do things. And, uh, the way they're developing players and hitters, and it's for the best, it looks like, at least at the mid to lower minor league level, maybe not so much at AAA, although really the guys at AAA are not a lot of these guys they developed through the process. These are a lot of guys picked up from here and there, and maybe it's a couple of guys that have trickled through to the AAA level, but really we're talking about those guys in A and AA for the most part. Um, I, I think it's alarming. Now, I've heard some things that Kyle Body was a lot, that he was a lot for people to handle, that he was extraordinarily egocentric, uh, egomaniacal, um, and, and that part can probably wear, but at the same time he's talked about, this seems like there's a complete shift in philosophies and it seemed like the cow body, uh, philosophy and the hitting coach philosophy were starting to really click. And now for whatever reason, they decide no. Um, and I don't know why the no is that's the part I don't understand is what's the, what, what, 
So are we banking on Nick Kroll making these? Is this a Nick Kroll decision? Is this a Castellini decision? I don't believe it's mutual by any stretch of the imagination. And honestly, what has Nick freaking Kroll done other than deliver bad quote after bad quote after bad quote after bland quote to, to, to help this team in the last year plus of him doing things? So I think it's extraordinarily alarming. The, the, the Nick Williams one sprang alarm bells that we maybe didn't hear enough and maybe people didn't want to hear that, uh-oh, things are heading back in a bad direction. And now these should be really alarming. And it now is the point where honestly, Bob Castellini, if you don't want to play ball, buddy, just sell it, sell it. Stop pleading, pleading poor. Stop pleading this. Stop selling me bobbleheads. Stop selling me ballpark experience and $10 beers. Stop. Dude, they are trying to get, they were trying to get people in the ballpark for $5 tickets, Rick, and couldn't even, you could go to a Reds game for what you could go to a high school football. Actually, some high school football games are seven or eight bucks cheaper. And people still didn't want to go with their team in the thick of it. Right. While they were theoretically in a legit wild card hunt. So, no, I mean, the fan base is clearly, They're I don't tuned know. Out on this, this, they they yeah, are tuned, tuned out on this, on this own. Tuned out is a great way to put tuned it. Tuned out. Yep. That's a great way to put it. You know, the Spincinnati stuff and all of that spin rate became a big thing. Part of that was Trevor Bauer coming over and part of getting Kyle body had to do with Trevor Bauer. And, 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 Derek, and, Derek, and Derek Johnson. And Derek Johnson was another big part of that. And he's still the Reds pitching coach. And, and honestly, I think everyone is. Really now. high on Derek Johnson. If you, if you are looking for positives from the last few years of Reds baseball, I would think starting pitching and the spin rate stuff has been at the top of the list. Even this year, after the sticky stuff went away, I mean, you still saw yeah, Wade but Miley, I also saw, Tyler right, but, Malley. But I also saw TJ Antone blow his arm out and Lucas Sims have arm issues. And well, that makes me wonder. And that may, that may very well be because of the lack of tack and stuff, but I don't think that's because of the way they're being developed. Like, I think those guys have gotten better and I think they're getting more out of their lower to mid level arms. I think guys have gotten better or at least it it appears that way. And the only thing we could really pin it to was the change of their pitching direction and Derek Johnson and Kyle body and the spin rate stuff. And so to me, that was a pretty big positive and not to mention for a team that has been, talked about as sometimes on the cheap side, sometimes not up to date with all the, the analytics and the things people are doing inside their front offices. They seem to uh, all agree recently. And even David Bell as a manager has been more on this analytical approach. It seemed like they were all moving in the same direction. Now, all of a sudden they're separating, divorcing from that whole thing, at least at the minor league director level. Is that a conflict of personality there? Or is what you said that Nick crawl does not believe in this overly analytical science-based approach to player development. And he wants to do his own thing and he doesn't want bigger egos at the minor league level telling him what he should and shouldn't be doing. It it definitely seems like there is some type of divide here all of a sudden in the Reds management in front office. And that doesn't, that doesn't seem to bode well. Now, obviously you could hire the next Kyle body, whoever that is, or Kyle body, whoever that is. Um, But you know, it it does feel like there's either a, a a philosophical shift or you have a, a, a GM ownership group that, um, it was a clash of egos. And listen, I'm not here to tell you from what I've heard, uh, Kyle Bodie was a lot, man. He was a lot to handle. And, yeah. and, and you can okay see it on the social media. Sure. Right. Yeah. No, right. The way he's reacted to some of this stuff. But at the same time, there's also some proof in the pudding. There's also some proof in the results. Um, I, I, boy, the direction just doesn't feel good right now. The fact of that happening with the club tanking, with losing your best player in the offseason, the prospect of that. And I think that's, I think you would agree that's pretty Almost likely. Definite. That you're, yeah. Correct. You know, the fact that, Again, I hate to harp on this, and he's been great this year, so I can't discount the fact of how great Joey Votto's been, but he ain't turning 29 next year. He's going to be 39. So, I mean, you've got a lot of negatives moving forward. And th- there's also a part of me, when we go back to the David Bell conversation, was this just 
kicking the potential can for blame down the road that, listen, we don't want to scapegoat Dave this year. I mean, we can just say, hey, we, we, we fought. We had to fight through injuries. We came close, and, and we'll leave it at that, and the fan base will believe in, 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 in this. Um, we'll kick it. We'll, we'll, we'll use David as a scapegoat next year. Yeah. That, that's my fear, too, is all you're doing is kicking the scapegoat can. Down. Especially, you're just kicking the scapegoat can down the road. Yeah, well, that, that's actually not a bad thought because, you know, is there a lot of confidence they're going to be in a better position next year than the playoffs? No, right. really, no. there's not. So uh, that that makes a lot of sense to me that, you know, this year you can get by with. He almost got you there, and there are a lot of things going on injury-wise, and you really kind of screwed him this year, so you can sell it that way a little bit. And then next year when you are in the exact same position, you can just fire him then, and you'll keep spinning your wheels and continue right, and to you're be only- Cincinnati. And, and all that at that point, that'll probably be the all-star break, right? So then you're talking about paying him for a year and two months. You can you can bite that bullet, pay, pay for a manager for a year and two months and not do anything. So um, I, I guess it comes back to this. The, the proof will be in the putting this offseason of what moves do you make to make yourselves better? Don't sell me that you're going to be better because Nick Lodolo's coming up or Hunter Green are coming up. I still need to see proof in that. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's exciting potentially. Um, you know, if you make a, a sunny gray trade move to to better your position players with the hope that those guys are going to do something, I can even buy into some of that. But if you sit back and really do nothing um, and try to pick more of the Tyler Naquins off the scrap heap, and granted, got to give credit where credit's due. Guy was, I mean, he wasn't great, but he was a really that, serviceable guy. That might be the reason David Bell got an extension was Tyler no, Naquin, right. if we're being that's, honest. That was yeah, one of the yeah. better lovers he pulled. Him and, him and Kyle Farmer, right? I mean, yeah, they, exactly. they fell into Kyle Farmer and he lucked into Jonathan India. I mean, Yep. You know, there's a lot of things there. So uh, prove it to me this off season and the way this, this ownership group has done it. They ain't going to prove it to you. They they've not done it to this point. All right. Shifting gears here. The Bengals lost to Chicago 2017 on Sunday. They couldn't get anything going offensively until the final five minutes of the game. We actually recorded a podcast Sunday night, recapping that game in full. And you can go back and listen to that on this same skinny podcast feed. But now that all the dust has settled skinny Sunday's loss was an ugly one to watch for fans with the way that it played out, how damaged do you think that loss was for Zach Taylor's bid to keep his job? Do you think that game felt as bad inside the organization as it did to the fan base seemingly, or was it not as big of a deal? No, I, I think it, 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 um, it lays the groundwork for things moving forward. Um, you bought some cachet with that opening win. Listen, I, it, was, it was ugly. There's no question. And I question the, what they're trying to figure out what to do offensively and all of those things. But it is a road loss in the NFL. And guess what happens to even good teams? You lose road games in the NFL. Um, it's it's the stacking of losses. So now you pile, if they lose to Pittsburgh on top of that, it puts a lot of onus on that Thursday night game, which you have no business losing to Jacksonville at home. It just, it, it, lean, it leads to the ball rolling downhill potentially for Zach Taylor. So no, that one singular loss, Chris Renkel asked me that on the, on the sports authority on Sunday night, if I, if I thought that that really put Zach on the hot seat. And I, I said, no, it's, it, it, you know, for the same reasons we're talking about, but it lays the groundwork for you better not slip up against the Jacksonvilles and you need to go win at the Detroits and the jets and those things. And if you look at the schedule, we talked about it. There's a chance through, through about the midway point to be four and four ish. So you, you at least keep yourself afloat doing those things, but you better not let this snowball downhill because you have no real cachet behind you. You built up a little bit with the Minnesota win, um, it was important. It was important to get off to a nice start in front of your home fans, all of those things with Joe Burrow coming back. But you better not let this snowball because you 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 can't afford that. I guess my biggest issue with that loss specifically and why it felt so bad to me was Zach Taylor was hired to be the next 
Sean McVay boy genius offensive wonder mind, right? Like that was the idea behind bringing him in. And for the third season in a very winnable situation, to me, that game felt a lot like the Bengals should have won, but Zach Taylor was quite honestly overmatched in the coaching situation. It was like Scott Frost in Nebraska losing to Illinois and Brett Bielema the first week of the college football season. That's that's exactly what it looked like. To me. Was like, like they're the better team. They should have won. He just got out, out coached and wasn't ready. But that's the that's the problem I had is he's supposed to be this offensive mind. That was the idea be, behind bringing him in, in as a young guy with not a lot of experience. It was like, we got to find that innovative young offensive mind. And yet we're sitting there. And for the third straight year, we're talking about the same exact stuff we've talked about for the first two years, which is not innovative, don't know how to push the ball downfield, too much pressure on your quarterback, easy to game plan for, no creativity. I, I don't understand what advantage Zach Taylor is giving this team. And yeah. I honestly don't even think he's been all that bad as a coach. I think there are some things that he has done pretty well. I do think it seems like he gets some buy-in from his guys and guys seem to like playing for him. But I can't get over the fact that he was brought in to be this offensive mind and this young boy genius and the offense is terrible unimaginative and he has no answers for you he, he just continuously wants to tell you that well they took this away from us and they took that away from us and so we couldn't do this and that's that's all we had sorry no I mean, that's why i go back to what I, my, my whole theme of sunday is stop worrying about them and you do you dictate to them this is what we are offensively yeah we're gonna have to do some in-game adjustments obviously to it or occasionally be some game plan specific stuff but I think you see a little crack in the armor, too, with some of this, where both your quarterback and your number one draft choice this year kind of openly said, we should have thrown the ball down the field. <laughs> I mean, that's literally what they said, is we should have thrown the ball down the field more. And boy, did Brian Callahan and, 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 and Zach Taylor take umbrage to a lot of that stuff. Yeah, they did. What did you think of Taylor's response? Because he said he was pretty quick, and he said, well, we had some more plays called, but the coverage took it away from us. Do you think that was a shot at Jamar saying you couldn't get open, so we couldn't throw the ball? Or do you think that was him admitting, well, we wanted to run some more things, but then we saw what they were in, so we checked down to something else? Yeah, I think Brian asked, we, a handful of us talked to Brian on a conference call Monday, and, and I, his point was we had a couple other shots called where the coverage took it away and we had to check it down. And the thing is, I have to take them at their word because I don't watch their game film, right? But at the same time, the quarterback and star wide receiver are critical. So that to me tells me that they think, Hey guys, we, and okay. In the small part of that, if you, if you take away something from that, it is the next time you decide, or if this is what you decide your offense is, is spreading it out, going empty and putting Joe in a shotgun. Cause Joe likes shotgun. It's what he did at LSU or not just shotgun. He likes empty. This is what they did at LSU. That's fine. The learning thing to this is start zinging that thing down the field a little bit more, at least to show defenses. Hey, this guy's going to run by you. We may not hit a hit them all, but the couple that we do hit are going to be for big plays. We're going to score 14 off of that. And then you're going to have to adjust your coverage to us, not us going, well, we're going to run six yard routes and we're going to get out of his hands quick because we don't trust our offensive line to block and they're going to squat on routes, but we think we can win one-on-one battles. No, no. And I, that's where I go back to, you had a, you had a game plan for game one that was vastly different for game plan from game two and not just game, plan. I'm talking about schematics completely different. Do what you do, especially if you're right. If you are the offensive genius with what what you're going to do, it needs to be, this is what we are. Stop it. And to me, I thought it was always going to be run the ball, play action, pass, take deep shots, get your guys in space. I I don't see any of it. I saw five wide with guys looking, running into each other half the time in in the, in the poor quarterback trying to throw a stop route to a corner. Who's looking dead at him going, throw the stop. route. I'm going to pick you. 
and, and the other part too is if you don't trust your offensive line, it didn't matter. They were getting to him anyway. So let's just go back to what you did in week one, in my opinion. That 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 looked pretty good to me. It doesn't mean I always want you to line up in two tight ends. And we don't need to go back to 1977 I formation football. That's not always effectively how to run it, but you ran it pretty effectively and your play pass game was pretty damn good. And you hit Jamar Chase for a deep shot down the field. Not when you just threw it up for grabs like they did on Sunday. That was just a throw up for grabs and the kid made a good play. You know, I think you saw a little chink in the armor, though. I'll go back to with the quarterback and receiver saying, yeah, we mucked this. So we need to throw the ball down the field. Well, and Joe said that immediately following the game on Sunday. Then when you guys came back and talked to him this week, he's always very diplomatic about this stuff. But he brought up the point that you just made of, of, you know, I think what we're learning is when you've got a guy like Jamar Chase, you use him to do exactly what you brought him in to do, which is sometimes you just got to give him a chance to go up and be the best player in a one-on-one or a one-on-two battle like you did at the end of the game. You gave him four chances in that game, and he came up huge on two different plays. It's like that's what you drafted that guy to be is a guy that can go make a play in contested situations and scare the defense a little bit, make him think about him as a weapon. He's doing that. Joe said it. Like, I think we're learning. We just got to go and trust him to take some chances. It's not going to be perfect. Every time he's not going to be wide open. Their coverage is going to try to take him away at times. You got to throw the ball up there and let him go get it. I think that's a, that's a huge, huge thing. And I agree with them. I, to, to me, it looked like Joe Burrow, had been deserted on Sunday. The offensive line couldn't block. Frank Pollock couldn't prepare him for stunts and basic blitzes up the middle. And Zach had no idea how to help the situation. He was completely overwhelmed and overmatched as a coach. And he had no answers to what was being done on the defensive side of the ball. So that's worrisome. To me, it felt very bad from a coaching perspective. My guess is inside the uh, Bengals front office, they're looking at it as a three-point loss on the road and things are getting better probably. So I think you're probably right about that. It didn't reverberate inside Paul Brown Stadium the way it did with the fan base uh, or seemingly but, did with the fan but base. But Let me tell you, Rick, if, if Pittsburgh does to them what Pittsburgh did to them in Pittsburgh last year, remember how ugly that was? Yeah. That, that and the Baltimore loss were two of the, the uglier losses I can remember from last year. If, they, the, if that happens, then you have to go, really, can this guy honestly, coach offensive football yeah I think the Baltimore loss is the worst loss of the Zach Taylor era yeah but yeah something about this one felt really bad because it's so early in the season still well it would have felt extraordinarily bad if if somehow you don't hit that deep ball to chase and Logan Wilson doesn't intercept the pass I mean that that they honestly I told somebody this the other day and then they laughed and they agreed I said they deserved to lose that game 20 to 3 they really did that that felt like a 20 to 3 loss the way it was played out 100 that's the way they played they got lucky late in the game and they were going against a rookie quarterback who really shouldn't have been out there yet and yada yada but I'm with you that to me that was as bad as a loss that they've had specifically because it was a very winnable game, in my opinion, a team that they looked better than, quite honestly, in terms of talent. I mean, look at what the defense did. That's, you talked about that see, Sunday. The defense really was pretty damn good. And they they have been now for two games. They're one of the better defenses of the NFL right now. And, and that's what that's the thing I'm kind of hanging my hat on a little bit. I, I still think this defense is going to continue to do consistently good things. Um you know, the, the thing that I think is really encouraging is, is what they've done run defense to hold Dalvin cook to 20 carries 61 yards. And then, or 20, it, it's, it's weird. He was 21 carries for 60 yards and David Montgomery was 20 carries for 61 yards. Bottom line is they've held two pretty good running attacks, running backs to three yards of carry on back-to-back weeks. Pittsburgh didn't run it well last week. You got a chance to shove it up their ass too. And then make Ben one dimensional when Ben's playing with his pec injury. What a diva he is. <laughs> oh my, I'm so hurt, but I'm going to play. Um, 
you, you know, you got a chance to put another good performance on tape and you do that. I'm going to start really believing in this defense and maybe then offensively you can, sometimes you can scheme around that too and go, all right, Hey guys, listen, let's just make sure we, we just matriculate the ball down the field here, take our deep shots. We can get it, but our defense is going to keep us in this thing. And, um, you know, maybe we're not going to win games 20, 28, 27. Maybe you can win a few 21, 17, but you also got to get to 21 first too. And they didn't do that on Sunday. Yeah. The Bengals defense right now, allowing 3.4 yards per rush, which is average 5.1 against last year, 5.1 second worst in the NFL. Yeah. Second. I know worst it's just two weeks. But that's pretty damn good. They're not, I, it's just two weeks, but they are number seven right now in the NFL in that stat in terms of yards per play. Uh, it's 4.5. They're number four in the NFL right now in, in yards per play on defense. So, I, I mean, you, you got to take your hats off to the defense and that all the more makes me feel like, you know, what, what is Zach in this offense and Brian Callahan doing overall? One, one point about that. I was watching the Sunday night game and Chris Collinsworth had a quote. I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically said talking about the chiefs. And he said, the teams who use the motion, the most on offense tend to be the most effective. They're harder to guard. They make you think about more. It's just even well, when it you also, know what they're also, doing. It, yeah, and it also dictates some things in coverage. I mean, if a guy goes in motion, somebody goes with, maybe there's a man set there. If nobody moves, then you realize they're in zone. So it gives you, it does give you pre-snap opportunities it, with that. It's, it's manipulating the defense a little bit. You're moving them around. You're also just making them think about more things. Do you know what the Bengals almost never do pre-snap? Motion. Well, the Bengals are as stoic as a, as a team as you'll ever see be, before the snap. Or they'll do some quick jet motion, which really doesn't do a whole lot unless you're going to run the jet. Right. Yeah, yeah. The little faux, you're right. The little yeah. faux jet thing they do occasionally. Yeah. But it's like they never do it to run a play, essentially, or free a guy up or manipulate the defense. I mean, there's very little pre-snap stuff going on on their end. But then you watch these other teams and they're making you move all over the place. They're making the Bengals chase them all over the field. You know, and, and, I, and uh, let me let me pull out my stat again. I got to go back to the UC days. Zach Taylor is a play caller now is is hang on. Let me see if I do this off time. He is now seven thirty three and one in his last 41 games as a play caller. And one of those seven wins happened to be when they just scrapped everything and had Ryan Finley run the read option in that Monday night game against Pittsburgh. <laughs> That's right. Just saying that'll make you feel good. Well, the Bengals head up to Pittsburgh on Sunday to take on their arch rival, the Steelers. Skinny, what will the Bengals do? Do you think they'll look different from last week? What do you expect to see? What do you want to see from them? I want to see them go back to what they did. I, I, I want to see them go back to what they did in week one, which is occasionally line up in 12 personnel, dictate to them, run the football, run your play action pass game. Um, I just think that's that's what you do best. I know Joe likes it in the gun. The thing is, somebody said, you know, he loves that 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 whole empty gun stuff, and that's fine. And, and I don't mind you dictating to, to Joe or helping Joe out. But you know what they also did at LSU when he went five wide, and, and it's not always five wide because there's sometimes a tight end split out, and sometimes Joe Mixon split out. So uh, five wide is three wides a tight end and a running back. But we'll go with we'll just call it the empty the empty set. Yeah, you know what they did a lot at LSU out of the empty set. They threw that son of a bitch down the field. Man. They just say, went back the and said, damn ball you go field. deep, Justin Jefferson, Terrace Marshall, you go deep, Jamar Chase, you go deep. I'm going to find one of you deep. You dictated to them. And listen, I know talent level is different. It, it, there you had all the talent in the world. I, I'll give you that. But that's what made that effective. Not what? playing dink and dunk five-yard slant football. So if you want to go five wide, great. I'm fine with it. Just decide what you are that you're good at because you're not good at that. You've tried that against these pass rush heavy teams and these teams are scared about their fronts. You tried that against Baltimore. You tried that against Pittsburgh. You tried that against Chicago and this little dink and dunk stuff in a phone booth. It don't work in the NFL, bro. It don't. 
Well, and the other thing about that is it's a lot more dangerous to me to be throwing all these short passes over the middle and in traffic and stuff like they're doing and never throwing the ball downfield where defenders are able to just sit on routes and really close hard on it. And like the, the second interception we saw Joe throw in, in Sunday's game, my thing about it is when you take chances downfield, it's often either an incomplete pass if you don't hit it interference you got a chance to make a big play or interference is a huge factor at that point those quick passes there's no time for that to happen they're not they're not jumping that to to get interference they're picking you off and go the other way you throw the ball up to jamar chase downfield or t higgins downfield now the defender's got to make a choice if if they're getting beat a little bit they might have to grab a guy or they might have to chuck him or they might just go a little early on a long ball that there's a lot more chances for something big to happen in the nfl the way this game is made you got to take your chances just to let the the other team screw up occasionally. Well, and the and the other part too is you think you're protecting your offensive line by doing that. And Joe even talked about this. I don't have the quote in front of me from yesterday. It might have yeah, it was from yesterday. Um, we talked to him. Um, he the, the question about his comfortable comfortable ability in the pocket, um, his comfort level in the pocket. And he said he felt a lot more comfortable last week in the pocket. He said, you know, I was able to go my first progression, my second progression, occasionally my third progression. But you know what you're doing in a quick passing game? By the time you get to progression three. Game, set, match. They're on you. You're done. Good night. So, I mean, so what they're doing is they're squatting on the short stuff going, all right, we're taking away your first read and your second read. And by the time you get to your third, chances are we're in your lap. And while the net, that looks so bad on the offensive line, right? But it's really not. I mean, listen, I don't think they've been great. And it is a fact that not all nine sacks are on them. There's been a couple on the running backs. I think Drew Sample missed a block. A point was made in the right that they tried to run a screen where all the linemen released and the wide receiver forgot to run the screen in the right place. And then, then Joe gets sacked because of that. So that's the other part. And then, but, but when you're asking the offensive line to hold up to get through three progressions in a quick passing game, I'm telling you, if you're playing a good front, that's even harder than run the ball twice, play action pass, and take a shot. And when you're not taking any shots, there's really nowhere to go with the short passing right. game, which is exactly what we saw in the, in the second half of that one. Zach I, I tell Taylor, you what, super genius. That's what I want Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan to, this is all I want to see from Sunday. I want them to understand that the Steelers are allowed to pressure their quarterback and they are going to try to do so. They're They're going to hit him. Their defensive coordinator will try to dial up a lot of pressure. And I'd just like to see them have a better plan in place for that. Instead of just telling us that the Steelers have good pass rushers and that they dictated what with their coverage, what you could do, have a plan to attack them. Know that they, that TJ Watt is going to be coming off that edge fast. Like know that they are coming after Joe Burrow on every play. They've seen the film from last week. They know what you're going to try to do to them and dictate the way they're going to play. Quit letting them dictate your offense. And this is the game to me where you know whether or not this guy can really coach. I mean, honestly, okay, let's make the adjustment. Cause here's the thing too. I know you may have a new right guard in there with Jackson Carmen, and that might be for the best that may have forced their hand just out of necessity here. But for the most part, and I know T's, T's banged up too, but you, you're still pretty healthy overall. Um, so there's no the excuse of I've got to play Brandon Allen, and so we suck. And I get that part of it. And, and I get when Ryan Finley had to start games and all those things. I'm going to give you a pass for all of those. But I'm not giving you a pass anymore, man. This is it. it, it show me show me you can adjust to, 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 to your failures of week two after having two separate kind of schematic plans. Let's figure out when you've played Pittsburgh now. This will be the fifth time you've played them. And I'm going to give you a pass even on the Monday night game because it was Ryan Finley in the read option, although that was a win. But for the most part, let's let's see what you got, man. You're the genius. Let's see it. That'd be nice. The Cincinnati Bearcats checked off the first major box on their way to a potential college football playoff berth. Thank you, Michael Penix. Indiana and come from behind fashion last week, 38 to 24, after trailing 14-0 in the first half. 
Skinny, what did Cincinnati's big win over Indiana tell you about Luke Fickle's team, especially as it relates to their matchup against Notre Dame next week? I'm going to use the cliche word, but they were resilient. I mean, for the, I mean, the first four series were three, three and outs and an interception. And things just, and you know, Desmond Weirder's going haywire on the sidelines, yelling at whoever he's yelling at because he's frustrated. Right. That looked like it was about to unravel in an ugly way. And maybe you caught the break when the kid from Indiana got hit with the targeting and ejected. And it's quite possible you did because, what was it, 14 nothing at the time? And that kept that drive alive and kicked that kid out of the game. And they go down and score the touchdown, then get the field goal right before the half. And suddenly you fell right back in the game. But still, I mean, it had a couple of great efforts down by the goal line late in the game that when Beavers forced the fumble was it was huge huge and then you you know you go back and answer again um I, I just thought it showed resiliency I think they were clearly the better team than Indiana was um but still to go on the road in the Big Ten against a team that's probably going to be a bowl team seven or eight win bowl team maybe six and say whatever but still we I think a pretty good team um and to be down on top of it in your first real test of this season with all the pressure of winter bust I think I'd be proud of that group if I'm Luke Fickle no, uh, I from a fan base perspective, like everything is talked about this season for UC under the the lens of you got to beat Indiana, and then there's the Notre Dame right. game two weeks that's later, it. and that's the whole season. And like the even when you're talking about the Indiana game, it's always followed up by okay, well now this sets up the Notre Dame game. But just from a fan's perspective, that was a really exciting win. I mean, you get that kickoff return touchdown to put you back up twenty four twenty one. I mean, that was an exciting game to watch from a fan's perspective. I hope you see fans are getting to enjoy the steps along the way and winning a game like that, which could be looked at pretty much as big as any win they've had in school history. When you, when you think about what it means now going forward, it's really exciting time to be a UC fan and and good for them. I thought that's the type of win that legit high major contenders pull off all the time. Sure. That that's the type you see a good team, they go down early, they don't have it that day, they find a way to pull it out and not just pull it out, but they win by a couple touchdowns. I mean that, that's that's an impressive win from Cincinnati. At the same time, there are certainly a few concerns from it. I mean, the crowd absolutely got to Dez in that offense. He struggled in the first half. The offensive line couldn't stop committing penalties. They were very lucky they weren't down 28 to nothing in the first yeah, half. Right. So they no, had that's exactly defense right. coming up with two huge goal line stands and that and that was you know part of that's Michael Penix Jr. being Michael Penix Jr. and kind of struggling you won't have that same opportunity to come back against Notre Dame if you're down 28 nothing you play like you did in the first half you know that that could be a very different result I would also say the offensive line looked pretty shaky overall in that game I thought not just with penalties but they allowed a lot of pressure especially on that line side for Des Ritter the left tackle which we knew was going to be a little bit of an issue after James Hudson left um I and the problem with that is Marcus Freeman knows Des and UC better than anyone. Yeah. Notre right. Dame's defensive coordinator. So if you don't think that he's going to figure out how to frustrate Des and, and put some pressure on him, I mean, you're out of your mind. That's that's going to be advantage Notre Dame right there, you'd have to think. So that would be a big concern. And then the other one, this may seem small, but the tight end for Indiana, Hendershot, got open six times for 60 yards and a touchdown. And you know what's funny? And he's really good, obviously. Third team, all Big Ten, good player, all those things. He ain't Michael Mayer either. He's not even close <laughs> to Michael Mayer, man. That's all I could think of. It's not not that this guy is completely breaking the game open or anything, but man, if you give Michael Mayer the same opportunities, he might. Right. You know, that's right. They, they didn't seem to cover that guy all that well. He kept getting free. And I'm like, man, if, if the tight end is a problem for you, Notre Dame will exploit that. That's one thing that they can absolutely do is give the ball to a lottery type tight end pick and uh, and let him do his thing. So those would be my concerns coming out of the game, heading into to Notre Dame. It's awesome that you have a week off to prepare. I think that's going to be 
an amazing game. But how big do you think the Notre Dame-Wisconsin game Saturday at noon is for UC now? Does Wisconsin have to win that one, in your opinion? I, I mean, excuse me, does Notre Dame have to win that one, in yeah, your opinion? Yeah, I don't think have to, but but it sure would be nice. I mean, you'd love to play Notre Dame undefeated, right? On the road, undefeated, and then go beat them in that circumstance. That's a nice scalp. And, and the way this college football season seems to be playing out, you can say goodnight to any ACC hope at this point. Obviously, Oregon now has put at least the Pac-12 back into play. I mean, who comes out of the Big Ten now? I mean, can one loss Ohio State work its way back into the mix? Or are we going to see a Michigan or a Michigan State get into the mix? I don't think we will. Um, you know, Iowa, I just, uh, you know, the SEC, it feels like there's at least two teams there in Bama and Georgia. Um, so I, I I think you need the scalp of an undefeated Notre Dame. Because, I, you know, I, I don't, you know, it's funny, Rick, and I, I we can talk probably more about this next week because we've got a week off in between games here before UC plays. But. You know, Notre Dame's going to play some of those ACC teams, too. So if you think like a Clemson or even a North Carolina can creep back into this with a loss, um, you know, you need Notre Dame then to go when they play those ACC teams and win. It, it's ugly now. It's getting uglier in retrospect, that win over Florida State, but at least it was a win. Um, the Toledo win wasn't very good. And I, that's where I, I'm not so sure I think this Notre Dame team is all that good. I also don't think Wisconsin's all that good. So I, I think Notre Dame wins this, um, and and that gives you the chance to – to then go get that scalp that you need. And, and right or wrong, it's still from a national perspective, uh, an undefeated Notre Dame at home, albeit with only a handful of games under its belt. You go win that game. It's it, You can't not have Cincinnati, at least in the conversation for the rest of the year. That's the good part is they've got to at least be in the conversation. And then if as a fan, you, you just got to kind of hope for a little chaos throughout. You got to hope for Oregon to somewhere get beat along the lines because then all of a sudden a one loss Ohio State to a one loss Oregon kicks out uh, maybe the Big Ten all told. And now you're down to, all right, maybe Oregon with the one loss is pretty good. You know, Oklahoma, I think, is going to get beat at some point along the way. They've not been overly impressive. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I think you need Notre Dame to win. I don't think it's completely imperative, but you'd like to be able to, to beat a, a, an undefeated Notre Dame in their place. Yeah, it definitely feels bigger the way Indiana has, you know, the loss to Iowa. They got spanked. They've lost some respect already. They they have, but then so. You, but if I'm if I'm an Indiana fan at this point, I'm going. Well, our losses are two two top ten teams at this point in Iowa right. and Cincinnati. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think Indiana's a bad team. I don't but either. I do think for Cincinnati's resume perspective, that that game lost a little bit. People were thinking Indiana might be a top fifteen, top ten team right. before the season right. started. That's clearly not the case, and they're not going to get that kind of respect anymore. So. The Notre Dame game, they really do need them to come in undefeated, I think, to to really boost the optics of, of that potential win. And then you see what happens from there. But you're, like you said, we can talk more about that next week. It was uh, it was an exciting week for UC fans, and I, I hope they enjoy watching the Notre Dame-Wisconsin game on Saturday and getting geared up for a massive game next week. And I think UC is going to travel. In fact, I, I think I saw – our friend Chad Brendel tweet out that there that Notre Dame had sent out something that there's some tickets still available for the use. I thought I thought I had heard from somebody this week that uh, maybe it was uh, on a radio interview that the UC game was sold out, but apparently a handful of tickets have come open for that game. Yeah, all of a sudden and, when they when they uh, started narrowly beating Mac opponents by a <laughs> uh, couple points, they decided eh, maybe we don't need to go to that game so bad. Yeah, it, it's weird. I you know I didn't realize because they had a long uh, a long streak that was snapped in 2019 Notre Dame did of, of, uh, of sellout crowds. It's been sporadic of late. And apparently there, there was like 15,000 unsold tickets for the Toledo game, which I, I guess I understand, but it, it sounds odd that Notre Dame suddenly has gone to that point. Yeah. I thought that was like a Packers situation where you had to be on a waiting list to get it. Yeah, right. I, 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 I assumed it too. Failed. Right. I'm the same way. Yeah. 
but that makes sense because I'm I'm actually still considering going to the UC Notre Dame game next week. I was talking yeah. to someone about getting tickets to that. So yeah. Anyway, uh, time for a betting segment where uh, you know we didn't have any picks last week to go about. Uh, the week before that, I sucked. You were good. So I'm sitting at nine and nine now. You're sitting at thirteen and five. Oh yeah, baby. And we'll start on our Thursday night game, eight twenty p.m. We got the Panthers as an eight point favorite at the Texans. 43 is the total. I love the under for starters. I mean, you got Miles Davis or Hank Davis or Bill Davis or whatever the hell the guy's name is quarterbacking for Houston. I don't even know his name. It doesn't matter. Um, I'll give them credit. They, you know, they got that win in week one, which again, it's Jacksonville and they suck, but we all thought Houston was arguably the worst team in the league. And then they were pretty good until Tyrod Taylor got hurt against the Browns. But Carolina has been really good through the first two weeks, especially defensively. I think they really limit Houston here. I think Houston will, will, will kind of hang around because it's home, and I still don't know if Carolina is an upper echelon team, but I'll, I'll go Carolina goes in there, gets the job done. I'll go 23-10. to 10. Again, you know, they played the Jets in week one at home. That was really they – were, they were up pretty good in that game. Jets got a, a couple of touchdowns to, to kind of make it a game. But for the most part, defensively, I mean, they've allowed 21 points in two games, and I think seven of the Jets' garbage points came in garbage – or some of the Jets – Points came in garbage time. So um, I, I'm a believer right now in this Carolina defense. So I'm going to take them, especially against a, a team that's not very good offensively starting a quarterback who I can't even think of his name at the moment. Yeah, it's old man Davis's boy, I believe. Um, Carol, you mentioned Carolina's defense. We were talking about yards per play before with the Bengals. Carolina's defense is number one in that statistic, 3.7 yards. Per oh, it's da- Davis Mills. I'm sorry, Davis Mills. There we go. Old man Mills's boy. That's what I'm Old man Mills's boy. I, I, had the, I, I had his first name as his last name. Shame yeah. on me. We just transposed. No big deal. Uh, no one knows who he is anyway. Both Carolina and Houston are 2-0 against the spread, and they're both covering by an average of over 11 points per game so far. So that one feels a little tough, but Texans were supposed to be horrible before the season started. They don't have their quarterback. I feel like this is an easy situation for the Panthers, and this is a game that I love as a teaser. You can take that down through two numbers as a six-point teaser, down through the seven, down through the three, two football numbers. You get it at two. I feel really good about the Panthers minus two there, so I I think I'll definitely be playing that on a teaser card. I'm going 31-17, so I'm Panthers and the over. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I don't think it gets close to the over, but that will disagree. Disagree. I've already done a parlay where I, 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 I bought down to Carolina minus four and I bought the over up to 45 or, or the under up to 45 and a half for a two team parlay. And I got one and a half back plus one and a half back on that parlay as opposed to two and a half back. But I, I like manipulating the number a little bit. Yeah. Oh, I love manipulating the number. Nothing better than buying you know, some points or teasing it. Uh, Saturday at noon, we've got Miami of Ohio going to West Point to play Army. Army is an eight and a half point favorite and the total. And that one is 48. Well, I think army just steamrolls them. Army's really good, man. Um, you know, good for Miami after the first two tough games. I mean, those were tough and, and they to credit to them. They went to Minnesota and played Minnesota pretty tough. Made us look stupid, made us look really stupid. But I think this army team, man, they are, they are so good offensively with that, with that triple option attack. Um, they create some turnovers defensively. I, I think that number should be easily double digits. I'm going to go army. I'll go Army 41, Miami 21. So is that Army in the over for me? Army and the over at 62. The total is yeah. 48. So, yeah, you're way over. Yeah, 41, uh, 21. All right. I'm actually going uh, way over in this one as well. I've got Army 35, Miami 24. So I'm on Army and the over. 
I, Miami certainly played well in that Minnesota game, and that showed me something. But their defense is allowing 5.5 yards per carry against the run, and that's all Army's going to do. I mean, they're really good at running football, so they're they're averaging like over 450 yards a game. It's on ridiculous, or something like that. So. Yeah, it's, uh, I think that's going to be kind of a bloodbath on the offensive and, side. And, and that's another potential teaser game. You take it down to two and a half. And, and Grant, listen, UConn is terrible. I mean, they're horrible. horrible. That's who they just played. But I'll be honest, Western Kentucky's probably a pseudo small bowl team. Georgia State's probably a small bowl team. And they 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 hung 43 on Georgia State and 38 on Western Kentucky. No, they can, they can score it. And Miami's defense is not very good. So, no. We got Kentucky at South Carolina. The Wildcats are five-point favorites. The total is 48 and a half. And before you even say anything about this, what the hell happened to Kentucky last week? Because I was traveling all day on Saturday. I went back and I watched the UC-Indiana game. I did not go back and watch Kentucky and Chattanooga. What, what happened to the offense? Um, a couple of things. They missed on a couple of deep throws early. They couldn't run the ball, which that was the most staggering part. They just didn't look physical up front. I, I, I've used the analogy of, you know what, you want to know what a letdown looks like in any sport you saw it on that game. I mean, that's what it was. That's true. They, they come off an SEC win over Missouri. Um, and it's still only Missouri. I get it, but still it was an SEC game in game two of the season. This looks like a layup. Uh, they, they got two touchdowns early to go up 14 to three. And it looked like for all the world, this is going to be a blowout. And then, you know what? It wasn't. And you had to have a 95 yard interception return to kind of seal the deal there um, for, for Kentucky. Liam Cohen admitted he kind of stepped off the gas in his play calling and admitted I wasn't very good as a play caller. All right. I'm going to give you a little bit of that, buddy. That's, that's fine. I, I you know, I, I think they have a bounce back game in a big way. Uh, I think they needed that. And you still were able to come up with a win. It avoided what could have been an ugly loss. We've seen, we've seen it. I'll tell you what, and, and Chattanooga is a top 25 FCS team. And we've seen some of those teams this year um, fight tooth and nail. And listen, I know Jacksonville state, Florida state's terrible, but it's still Jacksonville state beating a Florida state. That shouldn't happen ever. Um, so you've seen some of these FCS teams play, play, play pretty good against some of these upper echelon teams this season. I mean, honestly, Mercer and Alabama, what was that, like 38-14? Yeah. That, that's kind of an Alabama letdown, right? It's, it's just Mercer, and we got Florida coming up next. Well, Kentucky had this one sandwiched. You know, you've always heard of that typical trap game, that sandwich game. Well, there it was. And 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 I, I expect them to bounce back in a big way. I think South Carolina's outmatched. They are starting their, their starting quarterback for the first time this year, Doty. Um, he came into the Georgia game and led a late touchdown played a good chunk of that game. I listened to a little bit. I was driving and doing a, a game up in, in uh, uh, Edgewood between Ross and Baden on Saturday for TV. So I listened to a lot of that on a station out of Atlanta on, a, on my hour drive back home. And it sounded like Georgia for all the world was dominant, which they should have been. I, I'll go Kentucky in a big way here. I'll go Kentucky, Kentucky 31, South Carolina. I'll go Kentucky 34, South Carolina 14. So I am right on the under number, aren't I? You are at 48 there, and yeah, it's 48 in the hook, so you are just uh, under. I, I tell you what, I'm going to go 35-14. I want the over. <laughs> okay. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on wanting the over there. So you got UK and the over. Um, I'm at Kentucky 31, South Carolina 21, so pretty similar there. I'm at UK and the over as well at 52. This is a little bit different of a game than I think it's been in the past because of the way Kentucky's playing on offense this year. They're averaging... 40 points per game and 541 yards on offense. So right. uh, South Carolina's defense stinks. I think this is actually going to be a little bit more high scoring. I, I like the over number here and I'm with you. I think UK covers that five pretty easily. So I like Kentucky once again for the third straight week. 
that brings us to Saturday night, 7.30 p.m. We've got Akron at Ohio State. The Buckeyes are 49.5-point favorite. The total is 67.5 in that game. Akron is terrible. It's one of our fade teams that we've been getting after for a couple years now. Uh, what do you got here, Skinny? Well, I, I, Ohio State needs a get-right game, right? There's a lot of just there's a lot of negativity swirling with the Kerry Combs defensive job against Oregon to C.J. Stroud basically saying, shut up, people, leave me alone. Um, that went over Tulsa, not looking very pretty when that was maybe going to be the get right game. This is going to be the get right game. Um, Akron, Akron is coming off a big win over Bryant and you can't dismiss when you go beat Bryant, man, 35, 14, that's a big win. That's huge. But they've also lost to Auburn 60 to 10 and they've lost to temple temple. Let me repeat that temple 45, 14. This, by the way, the same temple team that this season in its opener lost to Rutgers 61, 14. And lost last week to Boston College, twenty-eight to three. This is a get-right game of get-right games. I think the only thing in doubt—well, both things are in doubt. It's a matter of when does Ryan Day take his foot off the gas. I don't know if he does. Um, I don't know if they're capable of doing that against a team like this. I'll go Ohio State sixty-three, Akron. I'm going to do this just to be a jackass. Akron three. So Ohio State in the under. <laughs> I'm going to go Ohio State sixty-three, Akron ten to make sure I'm still covering and it's well over the number here. So I'm going to Ohio state and the over. And, and I'll be honest with you. I think this needs to be a, a feel, feel right, get right game for Ohio state. I think yeah. it really does. Agreed. And, and that's why I think they will not take their foot off the gas in yeah. any shape or form. They don't really do it anyways, but they're certainly not going to in this game. I, I do need to look at the first half line for that and probably play that for that's sure. That's the play here. First half line is definitely the play. 100%. Yeah. Maybe the first quarter too. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. All right, uh, that brings us to Sunday NFL action, 1 p.m. Bengals are at the Steelers. Steelers are a three-point favorite, and the total is 43 in the hook. Yeah, I'm going to regret this. I know, I, I just, I, I do think the injury issue to Ben is kind of compromised them some on offense. I, I've been, I've said all along, I don't think the Steelers are very good. I picked them and the Bengals to both go seven and ten in my preseason predictions in the when I predicted the AFC North. Um, I think the first game with Buffalo was a little fluky. Remember, they got a block punt for a touchdown in that game. Uh, I think last week was more indicative. The Raiders just going in there and kicking their ass. You know, they didn't run it at all. I don't, if the Bengals play run defense the way the Fred did the first two weeks, it's going to make it all on Ben. And while I do think Ben is a diva and we always hear about Ben's injuries and then he shows up on Sunday and plays, I do think there's some legitimacy to this, obviously. Um, and I, I, you know, I know his arm is better than it was last year. Um, but I, I think the Bengals, I think they get the, 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 the signature win for Zach Taylor here. I'd be disappointed if they don't. I'm going to go Bengals 23, Steelers 20. So the Bengals outright, and it stays, what did you have, 43 and a hook? Yep, so you're Yeah, under it stays under. Yep, under. All right. I've got Steelers 24, Bengals 17, so I'm on Steelers and the under as well. Um, both Pittsburgh games have gone under so far this year, so that's part of yep. what makes me feel good about that. The other thing, and this more lends itself to your pick here with the Bengals winning, is the Steelers' defense, for as much as people talk about their pass rush and those guys up front, their defense isn't very good so far. Um, so I do think the Bengals have a chance here. I just don't have any faith in Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan being able that's to put fair. together an offensive attack for the road to beat the Steelers. So that's that's where I'm at on the pick. Sunday at 820, we've got Packers at 49ers. The 49ers are a three-point favorite. The total is 50 and the hook. 
at some point, these injuries are going to catch up to Frisco. They signed uh, Jacques Petrick off, uh, off the Bengals practice squad this week. And there's talk he may get some snaps because they are so banged up at running back. They've also got other injuries across the board. And Aaron Rodgers had his get right game on Monday, which we all suspect Aaron Rodgers would. And guess what? Now we're going back to the home Bay area and you're going to give me points with Aaron Rodgers and a hook. Um, give me Green Bay 35-24 in this one. I'm taking Green Bay in the over. So I'm on the same pick in terms of Packers and the over here. Slightly less optimistic than you. I've got it Packers 28, 49ers 24. So again, Packers and the over. The Packers offense looked back on track this past week, I thought. But their defense is still awful. So the, I yeah, really like the over I, That's why I go back to that. The injury situation there is just, it just, oof. Yeah, and, and I definitely like the Packers, but I, but my point talking about the Packers defense is to say that I really like the overplay because yeah, no. I don't think either team's really going to stop each other a whole lot in this game. I think the Packers will score as much as they need to to win it. All right, and then finally we have Monday night, 8.15 p.m. We've got Eagles at the Cowboys. Three-and-a-half point favorites are the Cowboys, and 52-and-a-half is the total. I think I underestimated Dallas. You know, that week one game with Tampa, uh, that's just that's kind of the moral victory, which I know doesn't count for much, but it was a moral victory. And then it's a good win against the Chargers. They almost mucked it up with clock management, but, um, you know, defensively, I thought they played well. They moved the ball at times, just couldn't couldn't score a bunch. I, look, Philly's played pretty well defensively. They held really? Frisco to 17. They fell, held Atlanta to six. But the bottom line is this is just too potent of a Dallas attack. And, and being back home, coming off that big win on a Monday night, uh, this score is not going to sound like a steamroll, but I think yeah, it is going to sound like it. I'm going to go Dallas 27, 13. All right. So that is Cowboys and the under there the under. at yes. 40. Well under. Yes. I'm going with the under as well. I think the Eagles defense is really good. I liked what I saw from the Cowboys offense, but I can see that team being up and down still. I'm not sold on them doing that consistently. I think the Eagles are a little underrated because of that defense. They uh, are only allowing 4.3 yards per play and 11.5 points per game. I'm going Eagles 27, Cowboys 24. Eagles win it outright, and it stays under. Okay, wow. All right, I got my three-team teaser. I actually got a four-team teaser this week in the NFL for you. All right, let's let's do it. I've got a three-teamer for college. All right, perfect. All right, here's my four-teamer. I'm going to take a – and this will be a six-pointer, so I get a little bit more, uh, little bit more plus on this. Uh, from a from a monetary standpoint coming back. I'm going to take Minnesota up to seven and a half at home against Seattle. I'm going to take the Rams up to seven and a half at home against Tampa Bay. I'm going to take Indy down to a pick them against Indianapolis at home. And I'm going to take Buffalo down to a one and a half point spread at home against Washington. So you got Minnesota seven and a half Rams, seven and a half Indy pick them Buffalo one and a half. Correct. That's your teaser. Six point That's teaser it. there. That's it. All right, my teaser, I've got Notre Dame plus 12 and a half to cover against Wisconsin, taking like Notre Dame that. up to 12 yeah, and a half. I like that. Yeah, I just think that's going to be a low-scoring slugfest. I don't see them losing that game by two touchdowns. Yeah I, don't see, yeah, I don't see either way in that game being more than a touchdown spread, right. to be honest with you. Same here. So I like that that double-digit spread either way. You get it up to almost to two touchdowns. Um, Alabama, I'm going to take them down to minus 39 and a half over South Mississippi. I think this is a, a situation where we talked about Ohio State in the get-right game. They, they don't quite need the, the get right game if you're Alabama, but you know Saban's the way they've played. He is not going to let the foot off the gas. They're going to play Alabama football for 60 minutes. Yeah, I and, thought that against Florida too, and maybe I discounted yeah, Florida's a little bit road. better than South and, Mississippi. And, yeah, man. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I just, I thought coming off the Mercer game where he was really mad, um, that was one of my, that would have been one of my big plays of last week, Alabama laying 15 and a half, even though it was on the road and it, it didn't pan out at all. 
Yeah. So, and that's exactly why I think 39 and a half over South Mississippi will pan out. I think they'll win this game by probably 50 ish points. So you take it down to 39 and a half, you feel pretty good about it, but actually in reality, I like this game even more so as a first quarter spread, a halftime spread, pretty much any way you can bet Alabama over South Mississippi. I'm probably going to do it in this game, North Carolina minus six and a half over Georgia tech is my yeah. final game yeah. on that teaser. I Good think goal. Georgia Tech, they had a nice game. North Carolina, it was, it was in the rain, though. It was, a, it was weather and stuff in that game. It was game. a little fluky. And, and yep. I think North Carolina has gotten back on track after they slipped up early a little bit. They're, they're feeling better about themselves. So if you get that down to just one score, I feel really good about it. Minus six. I'm with you. Their offense is still really good. Yeah. Yeah, they can put up some points. So there you go. Notre Dame plus 12 and a half. Alabama minus 39 and a half. And North Carolina minus six and a half. All right. Good stuff. All right, time for some ask any anything, and we will. Let me get, st- hang on, let me let me get my seatbelt on. There we go. All right, let's go. You strapped in. All yep. right. The uh, first question we have here is the best local ism in local sports. They uh, say you got laps, no two ways about it. You've got Rockies, this and that, and you've got skinnies. I just do. Which is the do best I, out of those three? Do I do I do I just do? I just do. Yeah, you, I, thought, I, I thought I thought it was a big line of demarcation guy. You you are a big line of demarcation guy, but one thing that you definitely say a lot, and I didn't make this up. This is uh this is from a tweet. Someone else brought it up. No, no, when, that's fine. I didn't think of you saying I just do, but when he mentioned it, I was like, oh yeah, you. A lot of times you'll like uh you'll you'll say like I I just don't think Zach Taylor can coach, for instance. I just do. You know, <laughs> like you'll just you'll drop that on as like is point that, of emphasis, and I, that is. I, I, that I was is is that, is that like me dropping the mic at that point? Apparently, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Okay, uh, it's, it's funny. It's, it's kind of like a little point of emphasis. I do kind of like it. I wish I could remember one. Uh, our our boss, Mark Jusak, used to be a sports producer, and he would always call Brad Johansson out on something. And I wish I could remember what it was. And Brad would even go, "Thanks, I just don't even hear myself doing that." And that's the thing. Sometimes you, you just you really just don't. Um, Lap is also uh, Lap is also big on. Iron sharp, iron sharpens iron. He's big on that in training camp. And it got to the point where I almost, I told some of the guys, I said, when he does it, we have to take a, the next time we all drink together, we have to take a drink for how many times he said iron sharpens iron. Cause he would do how, you know, cornerbacks going against wide receivers, iron sharpens iron. I'm going iron sharpens iron. So there, there are laps got a lot of isms. I will tell you that. Um, Lance, Lance called him out this past week. They were doing their football show and he dropped a, uh, sashayed into the end zone and Lance called him out for that. And then the next the segment, he said, it really takes a village. And Lance goes, well, you're just busting out all the cliches today. Well, yeah, he had one for Joe Burrow when he asked Joe a question uh, Wednesday. And he said something about Joe, you got a beautiful football mind. He loves doing that one too. <laughs> beautiful um, football mind. Yeah. Uh, Lap's got a lot of them, but yeah. it, I think it's what it's endearing about him. And that, that's sometimes cliche, what it is. Yeah. You, you hear all the cliches and it, that's, it is what it is. And I just do, I just do have it. I, I, I'll vote for myself, I guess, if I'm in the mix. I'm going to vote for me. I don't listen to, like, Rocky's show a ton during the day. I hear him more when he's doing, like, sports stuff. When yeah, he's I do a se- doing- I, yeah, I do a segment with Rocky on Fridays, although during this time of the year, he's traveling to go do college football, so I probably won't pick up a Rocky. I do – it's usually Eddie and, and, a, and a fill-in. Jason Williams has been doing it a little bit here. I do it every Friday. Um, so I'm going to have to, the next time I get with Rocky, I may have to make myself a mental note to remember that and yep. listen for it. what is it again? He says this and that, which I assume he is does do like, some, this and that he does do some, this and that. how does he use that? What, how do you use this and that? Is it like, uh, oh, you know, this and that happened. Like, well, if, if you go back to that great Charlie Cole's rant, remember on the, 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 the big blue, y'all I hear about this John Wall, this and that, <laughs> this and that. Yeah. Okay. Remember okay, this yeah, and that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to think of how that's even said like as a, yes. Yeah. All right. 
What should Cincinnati do with Heritage Bank Center? Keep it as it is, renovate it, or tear it down and rebuild? <laughs> and then rebuild. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, it, it has served its purpose. I, I Look, Rick, I am approaching 60 years of age. I'm proud to say that. I went to that building when it was first opening before. Well, no, I was just barely a teenager going to Cincinnati Stingers games with my father and to other events at that place. Again, that's how long that joint's been open. And it's not like buildings get better with age. Maybe Chavez Ravine with the Dodgers does, and maybe old Yankee Stadium before they decided to go. Some maybe do. Fenway Park, they've found ways to keep that old ballpark up, Wrigley, but not that joint. I mean, they've done the best they can. They've got a nice minor league hockey operation. They get the, you know, some concerts and the WWEs and all that rolling around. But remember, they put in the bid to host some NCAA tournament games. How'd that go, Rick? Well, that was all a big scam to get people to try to pay to renovate it. That's they didn't correct. want to. Yeah. That's correct. That's correct. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's the best. The best you can do with it is probably just leave it as is. And it's just going to be what it is. You're going to get minor league hockey and concerts. And again, it serves its purpose. Um, yeah. I, I think they might have missed their their window here a little bit, too. Now that there's new concert venues on either side of the right, river, I think right. like that was an avenue that they might have been looking at is, hey, we can get a few more bigger time concerts, things like that. But that's not going to be the case. Now you've got two new venues. I don't know that you really want to be competing with them. I don't really know what purpose a nicer, newer no, I'm with you. Heritage Bank Center would serve. That. I guess. And I don't know if the questioner is trying to hint towards wanting an NBA franchise or an NHL franchise. I just don't see that ever. T- I'm, I'm sorry. I don't. I, I just I, don't. I don't either. I would obviously love an NBA team to come I know here. Would. That would be unbelievable, but I don't see it happening. And honestly, it'd probably just add the professional sports misery that I already deal with in this <laughs> town. So probably not a good thing to be asking for. Really? NHL would never work here. I, I, yeah, I just don't know what, un, unless the only thing I could possibly see is if you see in the city partner up at some point and say, we want, we want to play downtown right on yeah. the river. And, 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 and they don't, you want to play on camp. No, you want to play yeah. on campus. And you on just renovate that place. that looks really, really nice. And it's now a functional arena. Yeah. Agreed. So I, I, I think you're probably just keeping it as is at this point. And I really, you know, it used to be a thing that bothered me and I was like, oh, they've got to find a way to repurpose. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind like, of I don't really see its purpose. I don't even really care about it anymore. It's just that's there. kind of me, too. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I, I I don't go to many. Well, hell, I don't go to any concerts hardly anymore unless it's maybe an outdoor riverbend on occasion. Um, I, I I don't mind going to an occasional Cyclones game, but I'm so busy that it's never on my radar, really. Um, so, I mean, for those that do great, it serves its purpose. It's still a nice. Honestly, from a hockey perspective, I still love it as a hockey arena. So it serves its purpose for that. But yeah, I just don't know if there's anything worth doing to it at all. Agreed. If someone travels to Cincinnati to catch a Bengals game outside of Chile, what is the number one thing you recommend them to eat or place you recommend them to eat? I mean, it depends on where your budget lies, right? Um, you got to know who you're dealing with in this situation. But I'm assuming if they're going to the Bengals game, that they are sort of like a uh, sports bar, willing to eat some wings or pizza type of person. They're my type of person. I don't think they're going to Soto or Ruby's after a Bengals game, personally. Yeah, I'm going to say... I'm going to say either Ruby's or, or because it's so close. I mean, I'm still a Montgomery in person. I'm, I'm partial to that. I don't make a sojourn there as much as I used to. I used to go to the one in Fort Mitchell a lot. Um, it feels like any more from Northern Kentucky, I'd try to avoid downtown like the plague unless I have to go to work at Paul Brown Stadium, which I do three or four days a week. But I do. I try to avoid downtown like the plague because of the bridge. But yeah, but in this I, case, I they're already gonna gonna going to be there. I'm just going to the Bengals. No, that, no. Yeah, right. That's right. So, I, yeah, I'm going to say either the precinct or, or, or the boathouse. Those, those are the two for me that would be the go to's. Yeah, those are too bougie. If 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 I've got a friend know, going I to a Bengals game, I'm not sending point. them somewhere uh, nice afterwards. I'm I'm going to tell them if you're trying to stay down, 
by the banks and drink and do the whole Dora thing now. Drink outside. You want to enjoy that. Just go to Condado's. It's right yeah, there. Yeah, I'm the with you. I love Condado's. I'm Hard to beat Condado's food. Yep. I think it's very solid. Now, if you don't want to go down to the banks and stay down there and drink, then I'm probably sending them back into my neck of the woods into Kentucky and saying, go to O'Brien's and get some wings and tots or go to Midway Cafe and get some wings or go to Smoke Justice and do yeah, smoke yeah. wings and something yeah. like that. So That's a good call. Those yeah, are kind I, of my go-tos after uh, sporting yeah, events around. Yeah, down those there. are all those, that's a good choices. Oh. Yeah. Uh, who is the best coach either of you ever played for and why? All right, I, I'm gonna I'm 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 not gonna lie on this one, Rick, because I normally don't see these questions. I try to avoid them. I had to schedule a couple of tweets today because I got to after the podcast. I got to leave to go to Bengals, so I needed to put some tweets up. So I did see this one, and it got it racked my brain. And I will. There's I'll go back to when I was a fourth grader living in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was the first time I played organized baseball. I lived in New York for a couple of years before that, and we didn't have organized baseball as you know second and third first. I lived there first, second, and third grade years, and so we didn't have organized baseball. Um, in those years. Um, so we played a lot of wiffle ball in the street. So my, my first foray into organized baseball, and we had grade school teams in Tulsa. We didn't have like not whole little league teams. You played for your grade school. And so the grade school I went to, you know, you're making new friends and all that stuff. So baseball season, I, I played uh, flag football that year in the fall. I played on the basketball team and then I played baseball. My first foray into really all three organized sports. But the thing I remember most about baseball, and this is, I grew up in that generation where baseball was my sport, right? That was kind of the one you gravitated most towards. I, I was an outfielder at the time and I was miserable. I tried to catch everything as a basket catch because growing up in New York was the end of the Willie Mays career. He got traded to the Mets at the end of his career and Willie Mays caught everything like a basket catch. So that was what I thought, how you, I thought you caught a baseball. And you can imagine how hard that is. <laughs> I mean, Willie Mays made it look easy and I was a, I was a disaster. I'm shocked so to hear that. I had a coach named, named Grant Metcalf who patiently taught me, him and another coach, Jerry Hill, and Jerry's both their sons played. Grant was uh, Grant Jr. was our first baseman and a pitcher, and Jerry Hill's son, Doug, was our shortstop, and Doug was just a naturally good athlete. Um, and so those two guys spent tireless hours working with me as a fourth grader, where you can imagine, you know, I'm still headstrong trying to catch things on a basket catch. Taught me how to catch a fly ball properly. Got to the point where by the end of the year, I'm playing center field and making plays. And then the next year, we needed a second baseman. They moved me to second, and they worked tirelessly with me on being able to handle ground balls that year. And to the point where they, they nicknamed me Hoover for the vacuum because I would catch everything hit my way. And honestly, it's because of those two guys. And then when I got to high school, it just so happened that um, the, the positions I played, I would play literally – one day would be second base when the second baseman pitch. One day would be third base when the third baseman pitch. One day would be left field when our left fielder pitch. And one day would be center field when our center fielder pitch. And I look back on all of that, and it was because of those guys working with me at that age, in my opinion, that actually made me a pretty good baseball player because they wouldn't give up on how bad I was as an out. I mean, I, dude, I can't even tell you how balls would hit me in the chest. They'd hit me in the head. They'd drop below my glove. And I'm trying to basket catch because I'm really freaking maze, man. And they finally got me to the position of, hey, man, you got to turn your glove like this and see it in and get your footwork. You can imagine the patience of dealing with a fourth grader doing that stuff, dude. I, 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 I don't forget them for that. In fact, one of my treasure pieces is I still have a game ball from 1973. Um, I don't even remember what I did in that game. I still have it, though, in a case where it says, to Richie, great game. Proud of you, Coach Metcalf. I've saved that since 1973. As God is my witness. I love the visual of 
coaches trying to teach fourth grade skinny. Look, son, you don't have to turn your back to the infield on every pop-up and try to catch it over <laughs> your head in a basket. You can just stand here, face the ball, and hold your glove well, up like I, a normal I, human I, being. No, I, I did. I tried to even catch those like a basket catch. Those Because that's how Willie Mays caught everything. He put his glove I, in his butt. And he just I realize what catch you're referencing with Willie Mays, and I'm just sitting here thinking, like, seeing a fourth grade kid try to catch everything that way had to be absolutely hysterical. Yep. So, nope. Those I really like those guys those for guys, they, not they, laughing they at awesome. you and fixing They were you. awesome. They're, they're no longer with us. I've... I, I occasionally will look up things in Tulsa to see how those people are. And I saw their obits not too long ago, and it hasn't been too long since they passed away. But um, I honestly, I don't forget either one of them for that. Well, what, what were their names? Jerry Hill and Grant Metcalf. Well, shout out to coach Hill and, and coach Metcalf. Yep, we no thank question. them for their service. Uh, I, if, if you went to Holy cross high school, I tweeted this out and you are not saying DGL, which stands for damn good looking is your favorite coach of all time. Then you're, you just didn't live the right experience at Holy Cross High School. Pat Ryan, who Pat was Ryan's the man. He an is, assistant basketball coach at NKU for a number of years, <laughs> uh, was also our, our JV baseball coach. He was a varsity coach at different times. He, he's done a little bit of everything at well, Holy and Cross. Well, he's the dean of discipline. And was a longtime assistant basketball coach at Northern Kentucky University under Ken Shields as well. Yeah, I just, I just mentioned that like oh, 10 sorry, seconds yeah. before you did. My bad. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't. <laughs> I, was, I, I was listening to the Holy Cross part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. I, I mean, he was. he's done it all around Northern Kentucky. He's a guy a lot of people know. But I'll tell you what, and this will tell you how much of a fat ass I am, but this is why I think he was the best coach that I ever had. Because baseball is a very short season, you know, for younger kids. I mean, in, in major leagues, it's not. But in your, if you're talking about high school or younger, it's a very short season. And you get bad weather during that, so it shortens it even more. And one thing that I always found fascinating is Pat Ryan was the only coach who seemed to understand that instead of making us cross country runners for the whole first two months of practice leading up to the season, maybe we should like, I don't know, work on baseball skills and situations and fielding ground balls. And so we would just do drill work. We would work on lots of fielding bunts and pitchers cover covering in, in different situations. And guys would take a billion ground balls and we would do lots of soft toss and hitting and, and pitchers would really work on not just pitching, but pickoff moves and things of that nature. And, and then I'd go up to varsity practice and we'd just run for an hour and a half. We'd run, we'd be doing all these Indian runs where you start in the back line, you get up to the front and then you're doing suicides. And, and then we're running miles together and we're doing all these workouts. And I tell you what, skinny at the varsity level, we were the fastest damn team in the region on and off the field after striking out or committing errors, but we were not a very good baseball team, but down at the lower levels with Pat Ryan, us, magically we'd win region every year or be competing for it because lo and behold, we were actually working on baseball stuff. It was a novel, yep. novel fun. And I would just throw that out there to all these coaches in high school who are trying to be hardos right now and having their kids do all these conditioning drills and stuff. Baseball is a fat man sport. It you is. move a total of like, you know, 90 bases once a game. Like, you know, I mean, like there's very little running involved and it's really not that important when you are running, to be quite honest. You got a couple skinny fast kids you need to hit lead off and steal bases and stuff. But like for the most part, Quit trying to worry about getting your kids into shape for baseball. It really doesn't matter. I love that. That's awesome. That's just, I mean, that's just, that's just true. That's, that is the truth. He also had amazing sayings. Like after a game, uh, he'd say something like, it was only after wins usually, but he'd say like, it's not whether you win or lose the game. It's how much the other team's equipment you come home with. And then he'd smile and say, I grabbed two of the game balls. He's the best. <laughs> Put them in our bag. Yeah, he's awesome. He was great. So, <laughs> and great. he always called himself DGL. And when yep. people ask why, he say it stands for damn good looking. Um, uh, he's, he's a good dude. He no is a question. All right. So we'll finish it off with this real quick. Skin, this is from our guy, Jason. He says, skinny can have a knife, a gun, or a never ending supply of water in the post-apocalypse world. Which does he choose? 
You know, it's, uh, knives scare me. I, I, I have a recurring nightmare of getting stabbed, and I always somehow catch the guy's arm before he can get me. I, I could never, if I was going to kill someone, this is going to come out of the blue. I'm not sure I could stab some. I couldn't feel that going into somebody's skin. Yeah, I'm not a stab guy either. I'm definitely a shooter. If I'm, I'm definitely a people. shoot guy if I'm killing people. Yeah, but if I needed same. one, the thing with the never-ending supply of water would be I could sell it, but then the problem is if I don't have the gun to protect myself, somebody would shoot it, shoot me to steal it. So, oh man, I think you, I think I'm gonna play, I'm I'm going gun because I can go hijack somebody to 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 get the water from them instead. Oh, you're a stick up boy you. now. Okay, yeah. Well, dude, if it's post apocalyptic, man, it is going to be every man for himself anyway, bro. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I'm I'm going never ending supply of water. Yeah, because I'm, I'm close to that. Because at least that way you're surviving for a long time. You might just wait everybody else out. They might already be dead if you've got the never ending supply of water. Right, you can. But- I but feel what like if I have nothing I, but time. Thing, what if I have my gun and I come up and go, Rick, give me the water, and you got nothing to defend yourself with, but, and then I just shoot you anyway and I take your water. Yeah, but no, never-ending supplies of water don't actually exist. So I feel like in this way you're kind of magical. Like you're the only one who has the never-ending supply of water. It's not like it's a transferable option, in my opinion, in this hypothetical world that I've built hmm. up that Jason has supplied for us. So I think you take the never-ending water, and with all the time you've got. You build, you build yourself a couple weapons. I mean, I'm not a guy that can build a gun, but I think if I can make a nice prison shank, put it onto the end of a stick and call it a spear, I'd be all right. Yeah, but again, if I've got my gun, I'm just going to shoot you anyway. That's true, and that's a chance I'm probably going to have to take in a post-apocalyptic world that I'm going to come <laughs> up on someone with a gun. But there's also got to be guns around. Everyone's dying off. It's post-apocalyptic. I should be able to eventually forage my way around and find somebody else's gun with all the water that I have. I can last Dude. for weeks. That sounds like a great job interview question to me. It's got some kind of deep psychological answer to it. Does yeah, it not? It, it really, I mean, right away, we started opening up about whether we're gun guys or knife guys when we kill well, that's people. Right. So, that, yeah, that's right. That's a starting is, point. Yes, that's right. It definitely yeah. gets you to open up a little bit. Yeah. And then we're trying to work the logic through of, of what can I do if I only have the water? But what can I do if I have the gun? We, we're kind of work the logic portion of that. So there's. There's a lot to that question, my man. If you're doing some hiring, I think this is a good question. And Jason, you know, he's done a lot in his history. That he's military background. So maybe maybe he's been asked this question. Before, yeah. Or maybe no, he's lived a, this before. I don't it's know. It's a fascinating question, actually. It's got deep psychological roots behind it. Well yeah, done. Well good. done. That's all I got. All right. Good stuff, Rick. Appreciate it very much. Everybody enjoy your, uh, your long football weekend. We will be back next week. Actually, we'll be back on Wednesday next week. We'll be back actually Sunday night. Let me stop myself. We'll be back Sunday night with the post Bengals Steelers podcast. So be sure to listen for that coming. We're going to be back next Wednesday to do our podcast because the Bengals play on Thursday against Jacksonville. So a day early, the podcast will drop next week. So just to keep you advised for Rick Broy, I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us. It's been the skinny podcast, the weekly Pope edition presented by Ryan Keefer of Prime Lender. 